Welcome to another edition of Old School Guns, the podcast that tells you exactly like it is. And in case you have any questions or comments for us, you can always email them to me at kbmakel at aol.com. That is kbmakel at aol.com. And we'll get to it the next podcast. Okay, got a lot of things to get to. And, you know, the first one, the first one is, have you noticed, you know, first of all, you know the left and the, the liberals, the whatever, the the cabal that that kind of seems seems to be in charge of our government right now. They, they lost their collective minds over January 6th. And, you know, just to let you know, I... I am not a protester guy. I don't think anything good comes out of a protest like that. So I would never have gone near that thing. Wouldn't want any part of it. But some people did. And unfortunately, some woman was murdered by the uh, Capitol Police. You know, some some thug, some, some DEI hire that uh, um, they gave a free pass to. Basically murdered a woman right there in front of other police officers. You can look at the tape yourself. But And a lot of people were wandering around inside the building. Were they in areas where they shouldn't have been? Probably so. Was there any violence against lawmakers or anything? Well, the, they were afraid of it, but they didn't. Uh, none of that ever materialized. But that has not stopped the Democratic Party Justice Department Gestapo from going after people. And they've done it in a manner which everybody now thinks that is very suspect. Any thinking person would regard as suspect. Um, here it is two and a half years after the thing. Longer than that, actually. And uh, they're running around arresting people, saying, we saw you on videotape. They've, they're arresting people who maybe were in the vicinity but weren't actually at the Capitol. You know, it's this is all kangaroo court um stuff that has just been ginned up uh against their political their perceived political opponents and um you know this this is third world country stuff and they're not even trying to hide it anymore they don't even you know they they have so much contempt for the american people for and, and they always say this is about democracy no, no, it is not. Well, it is, but it's 180 degrees of what they're saying. They're the ones subverting democracy. They're the ones subverting the rule of law. They're the ones acting like third world, you know, potentates. Um, we're done. We're done with this. Um, a lot of people have had enough. Uh, when they don't even bother to hide it anymore or just laugh it off, like Hunter Biden's corruption. They just laugh it off. You know, Joe Biden, you know, the pay pay to play. I'm going to cash out. I'm uh, by cashing out, meaning he's selling his influence. Uh, he did all that and they just laugh it off. And then they have that disgusting, hideous little creature who's the uh, White House spokesmouth. Uh, I call her Corinne John Penis or whatever, whatever her name is. Um she gets out there and she just boldly lies. I mean, they've caught her in lie after lie after lie. So why even hold these briefings? If all you're going to do is lie, why even hold these briefings? Just, you know, put out your lies. They, they hand these things out. They hand out their talking points. And you see it through the 
the liberal media, um, usually a buzz phrase, and, and they hand this stuff out. Why even bother to hold these goofy meetings? I, I don't know. I absolutely do not know. But, are, you know, the country's just being torn apart by all this. And, you know, people ask me, well, do you think there'll ever be a, another civil war? And it's like, well, I hope not, but I don't know. I mean, there's a certain tolerance. And the tolerance point, I think, is being rapidly approached where people aren't, you know, it's and it's going to come down to the part, just like kind of the last civil war, where individual states are going to say, no, we've had enough. And one of the tipping points would be, for instance, um, if they if they pack the Supreme Court and overturn the overturn of Roe v. Wade and say, no, nationally, you can get abortion anyway. Some states are going to say, no, it's not happening. And uh, there may be a, a cabal of states that, that gets together and says, no, from, you know, west of the Mississippi to the Rocky Mountains, no, there's none, you know, and so um, it could be, it could turn into something like that, or confiscation of AR-15s, which, you know, the left has always talked about because they hate the AR-15, not that they care about it, it's just a symbol that they want to go after, but if they tried to come after those, um, certain states would say, no, no, you are not, and, you know, from there, there it's going to be a Second Amendment sanctuary uh, from, you know, the Mississippi River to <laughs> the Rocky Mountains again, you know, and probably a lot of areas of the South. So I, I don't know what's going to happen, but all I can say is their behavior is provoking problems. And um, I think we're going to see, you know, this is the lull before the storm and you know nobody really cares about anything people are into the nfl and all the rest of this nonsense that um, distracts everybody but next year it's going to get real and you will see if the left loses the next presidential election which i think is is likely not certainly not a sure thing and not probable but likely it, it could happen um you will see trouble like you've never seen or if they retain the white house based on more questionable voting practices you're going to see some real trouble there too i mean it is we we just we're headed for a train wreck and nobody knows and nobody's doing anything to prevent it so we'll see what happens um, we'll see what happens. Uh, let's, since we're talking about the January 6th Gestapo, um, there's some real scumbags have emerged out of this, and that is the Liberty Safe Company. Apparently they arrested one of the people that they thought was a perpetrator, you know, whatever it is. And, and whatever the court case is, the court case is. I don't like to argue about <clears throat> things like that. Um... But anyway, they, you know, they had a legal warrant. They went in, they arrested this guy. And I don't know if the warrant covered his gun safe or they had a separate warrant for it or whatever it is. But apparently the guy didn't give them the combination to open it. So the feds called Liberty Safe Company, who basically said, oh, you have a, you have a legal warrant? Well, here's a, 
a universal code that will get into that that model of safe. And so they were able to get in there. Now, how, how all that works is how all that works. But here's my view on it. First of all, Liberty Safe Company should have said that safe is no longer our property um, unless it's a warranty type call. We're, we're having nothing to do with it because it doesn't belong to them anymore. And thus the access to that safe does not belong to them anymore. Um, the, the now face it they're going to get into it anyway so you could make the argument that well look you give them the code they get into it and pull out all this guy's guns because they're arresting him on this january 6th nonsense if they don't if they don't get the code from liberty safe they're just going to take a blowtorch and open it up anyway now, that's probably true but it is not liberty safe's call as to whether or not they should have that if they have a warrant for what's inside that safe and i would be i'd be very interested to look at the actual legal thing because i i bet it's kind of an implied search but anyway uh, they want to get in there uh, i don't think it's liberty safe's place to give them the code it's between them and the person they're arresting and that's whether or not it's a person they're arresting for, you know, at, under the auspices of the January 6th Gestapo, or if it's somebody being arrested for something else. That is between them and law enforcement, not Liberty. Liberty Safe does not need to be the intermediary that helps them, especially after you've spent, you know, well over, I think most Liberty Safes cost well over $1,000. And so you spend that kind of money, you own it, it's yours, and now they're they're unlocking it for the feds, whether it's a reasonable search and seizure or not. I mean, what I'm saying is they have no place in that. The, the contents of that safe and the legal right to get in added and all that is between is between the individual and law enforcement, not Liberty Safe. So Liberty Safe are scumbags. And they need to be put out of business. Do not buy a Liberty Safe. Don't buy anything made by Liberty Safe. Tell them to shove it up their butts because they will turn on you. I mean, and and you would say, well, why would Liberty Safe even cooperate? Well, clearly they're threatened. I'm sure that I'm sure that the Fed said, oh, by the way, if you don't give us this code, uh, the IRS is going to come get you. Uh, you know, somebody else's immigration is going to come down, see if you got any illegals working in your factory or hauling your safes to their, to the distributors or whatever else. I, I'm sure that they were some serious arm twisting. But the fact of the matter is it probably didn't take very much for them to say, yeah, we'll give it to you. No problem. I think it's also interesting. It's, it's not, it's not unreasonable to assume that they would have some kind of emergency unlock code to get into a safe um, i suppose that that would be something that you should actually expect if you buy one of these you know safes and it's got an electronic lock and all that um you know it's it's yeah it's because what do you do if somebody has i i assume they have this because you buy the liberty gun safe you somehow have your stuff in there. You lose the combination. You have to get in 
well, how do you actually get into that thing? And I'm sure that there's some backdoor code that does that. And that's what they gave the feds. It's not designed specifically to give people who you don't want in their access. It's designed in case there's some sort of malfunction or some like, combinations lost or some way to open that safe without destroying it with a blowtorch. So I'm, I'm really, uh, you know, heavily, you know, I kind of understand where they are, but I think that code should be company proprietary information and I don't think they should share it. They should say it's no longer our safe. So we don't, we don't give you access to it unless, you know, it's the owner of the safe and he's got some sort of warranty or, or some sort of, of, you know, issue. That's what they should say. And in which case, they can put it to the guy and say, look, you can give us the code, we can open it up, take the stuff out, or we can bring in a blowtorch, tear the whole thing apart and get the stuff out. But I don't think Liberty Safe should be the person who decides how that's going to go, nor should they say, well, it's your safe, you bought it, but somehow we keep access that we can share with others so do not buy liberty safes they're scumbags um, they don't deserve your business they don't deserve anyone's business and any company that does that they're the same thing they're scumbags too um, you know don't think for a minute that if they get arm their arms twisted that they're gonna come back and say yeah I sent any I sold an 80 percent lower to this guy and they're gonna come, you know, they could come to your place looking for it. Or, a, you know, one of these binary triggers or some of this other kind of stuff that's up against the line of what the, the law is. So, you know, you can't trust any of these companies. And, uh, you know, that's just the way that goes. That's the way that goes. Especially if you do product registration, you're now just gave them all the information that they would need to give over to somebody else. But there is, you know, there is really good, some good news that's really happening is, you know, I, I kind of look at it every once in a while, but constitutional carry is slowly and steadily growing. Now, I do think it has an upper limit, um, but with Alabama joining constitutional carry, I think that brings the number to 28 states. That is not inconsequential. That is not inconsequential. That is over half the states. Now, certain states like New York and Hawaii, Hawaii a place I will never go because I'm not going to give them a dollar. They can, they can go dance in their grass skirts all they want. They're not getting a dollar of my money because, you know, frankly, it's a dirtbag liberal state, just like California. So New York, California, Hawaii and uh, some other places will never pass constitutional carry no they'll never do it but i do think of the states that are that currently don't have it i think louisiana north carolina south carolina could easily come in that would give us 31 states and that gives you enough states so that someone says well what's wrong with the other 19 you know if they say, well, half the states have it, 
they can say, well, the other half doesn't. But then all of a sudden it becomes more, much more of a, well, most people have it. Why don't these last 19 states? And, you know, you look at those states and you'll you'll see why. They're, they're blue states controlled by, you know, a, a fascist Democratic Party that is fundamentally, um, you know, rotten to the core. And... Uh, you know that's that's where it is I mean 19 of our states are controlled by people who shouldn't be in control of anything you know that's the and the other side of this is um, within the constitutional carry states there is in many in some of the states I, I don't know how many but reciprocity where um, if I'm in Missouri and I'm a Kansas resident in Kansas, I have constitutional carry. In Missouri, there is constitutional carry, even for non-state citizens. Um, so I can be a Kansas citizen and still constitutional carry in Missouri. It's not a problem. The reverse is not really true, although I don't know how that is being enforced you know I mean would that be just an additional charge if you come over and you're, you're creating mayhem in Kansas and um, you know there's no shield for you with the constitutional carry laws because you are a Kansas citizen not a you are not a Kansas citizen and therefore not entitled to constitutional carry so uh, you know but there needs to be more of the reciprocity so we can you know carry in other places now the people who are kind of against this and it's a lot of, and it's a lot of 2a people um you know that whole cottage industry of concealed carry permits which you know you go you pay the the 150 to 200 bucks for the class you you go down you do the application and pay another 150 bucks and you get a in states vary but you get like a usually a two to five year license and and go um, there are even counties in places like california perhaps some in new york and other places where in in blue states where you can actually still get you know concealed carry permits but in constitutional carry states uh, the need to spend all that additional money is not there. So the people who were in that cottage industry of doing that um, don't necessarily like it. Um, so that's that's kind of the way that is. I would be very careful. Um, you know, you can think there are advantages for having a concealed carry permit even if you live in a constitutional carry state and that is the reciprocity again of CCW permits also if you're engaged in if you're engaged in a business where you're carrying on your on your business on your premises I, I think that it's wise to have the permit I think it's very wise um, just because it proves you've had some training um, it, it just kind of codifies it and the other benefit is um, 
it's also accepted as a universal background check if you're purchasing another firearm. So that's pretty, th those are all good reasons to have it, but it isn't exactly necessary. And in fact, if you work on a federal installation and some state install insula installations uh, or buildings or properties which prohibit carrying of firearms, well, it, you know, it doesn't, none of it helps anyway. So, um, you know, there are still places where you cannot carry or if you carry, you're in violation of, of a state or federal law because certain places are excluded. Okay. Oh, talk about Second Amendment sanctuary. You know, I, I think that's going to be the next movement. I think when we kind of top out on constitutional carry, I think there's going to be second, a Second Amendment sanctuary movement. And that really is going to be the South and a big swath across the center of the country, um, which is going to protect, you know, we, we need states to band together to protect the rights. Um, like I said, this is the lull before the storm. Um, we're going to see some really ugly, ugly stuff happening around election time or after election time. And everybody always predicts that. But it seems to me that's where it's going. It seems to me that's where it's going. And, uh, you know, you look at the people, the incapable people who we have in the government. You know, Feinstein has no idea where she is. Uh, I mean, she's, she's, she's riddled with dementia. Uh, Biden is clearly, clearly um, mentally... I don't want to use the word depressed, but he, he is he is clearly impaired. I mean, it's like having a drunk guy in charge. I mean, he just he, he there there are times and they even show it on television occasionally where he just mumbles and nobody knows what the hell he said. Absolutely no idea what he said. He's mumbling about something. Yeah, he's talking about his kitchen fire in, in Hawaii where they had that big fire that God only knows how many people that's killed, but you know he he he's 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 not there, and everybody knows it. And Harris isn't there, so who is really in charge? So you have all that. We'll have to wait for the tell-all books where everybody claims that they were in charge of the government. Um, you know, you, Mitch McConnell is you know he's freezing up in front of the camera. The guy's 81 years old, and I mean you can tell he is mentally impaired. There's something wrong with him. Um, that guy Fetterman. He's a lot younger, but there's something wrong with him. You know, we're, these people are getting elected to office, and we're not even talking about Pelosi and some of these other, you know, crow, old crows that have been in the government for 50 or 60 years. It, it is time for them to go. I mean, we have to start instituting term limits. Uh, maybe you get three three terms as a senator, and then it's hasta luego. Um, maybe you get ten terms as a congressman. But, you know, we term limit governors, and nobody seems to mind. We term limit the president. I think we need to term limit some of these power brokers in, in Congress. I mean, it just it just has to happen. It just has to happen. Um Again, what are the 
what are the obvious things to do? Well, first of all, I'm sure anybody listening to this podcast has got their has got their stash of weapons uh, and ammo. If if you don't, go out and get them now. Now is the time. Now is the window, and it could close at any time. It only is going to take a high-profile shooting, a, a you know, a, a police the police killing somebody of the wrong race, some some other thing going on to start an avalanche of violence and just just going to be there um so now is the time to get it other things to do is you know get yourself some emergency food get yourself a few other things going on but do not um do not stay around heavily populated areas and what I would t- and what do I mean by that? You know, you say, well, every place is heavily populated, and but I can't afford to move out into the middle of cornfields of Ida of uh, Iowa, and that's true. You you probably can't. You probably have a job, but if you live in an apartment, you might want to consider even a duplex would be a much more secure and safer housing option. Um, maybe moving to an apartment that is in a smaller town out away from the metro centers that we have that that could be problems um, there's a whole bunch of things that you can do just to lower your your thing if you can work from home kind of go in that direction you're safer at home than you are going out to do all this stuff avoid large crowds like sporting events and you know mega shopping areas you know what do they call black friday where everybody's lining up to get into the stores and you know that's where you see people punching each other out over tvs and walmart and stuff like that stay away from all that kind of bad stuff stay away from any large crowd where it can get unruly i mean we're even seeing this we saw this in the nfl preseason um and usually you know to everyone's non-surprise alcohol is always involved uh, you see a lot of fights in the stands and things we live in an increasingly dangerous society where violence has become more accepted now they'll arrest people for it and charge people for it allegedly but they'll also turn their back to it if they think it has some sort of any kind of ethnic or racial overtone they'll they'll step away from it so and two it doesn't really matter what they're going to do to the person afterwards we we live in an area where in an era i should say not an area an era where you know do you remember road rage ever being this bad road rage is horrible compared to what it used to be um, there are they find suburban housewives screaming just triggered and screaming at people at the top of their lungs cussing them out um, flashing guns all kinds of things um, you know these these things are happening and nobody's really kind of looking at it everybody is looking uh, well that's a, that's a very general statement but a lot of people are looking for a reason to be triggered and they may not even know they're looking for a reason to be triggered it may just happen they get triggered but yeah road rage is i've actually you know i 
I've never been that aggressive, nasty of a driver. But, you know, I just like, hey, let him go. When a guy's tailgating you, you just slow down. You know, I've been tailgated driving in the, at the speed limit in the slow lane, you know. Hey, the speed limit is 70 miles an hour. I'm doing 70 miles an hour, and there's somebody on my bumper. And I'm like, hey, this is a two-lane highway. This is an interstate. Pass me. And so what I do is I, I start incrementally slowing down like five miles an hour. Usually by the time I hit 55 miles an hour, they, they get the clue and they, they pass. Um, sometimes it's people texting. Um, there are a lot of accidents, and it's very dangerous now. I, I have seen, and I'm not going to go through it, but I've seen some of the worst cases of distracted driving. People making left-hand turns while they're looking down at their phone um, I don't know if they're following a GPS or if they're texting, but I mean, it is, it is incredible. And, uh, you know, it is, it's extremely dangerous, extremely dangerous, if, especially if you're a pedestrian. So be careful, avoid as much of that as you can. Remove yourself from large groups of people. Okay, that gets us to my favorite part of the podcast, which is questions and answers. And we'll start off with a very obvious question. Do movie, do movie portrayals help or hurt the public image of guns? Uh, they universally, they do both, actually. If you are Smith & Wesson trying to sell Model 29 revolvers, uh, Dirty Harry was the greatest bunch of advertising and hype and everything else that you could ever want. If you are Walther trying to sell the PPK, James Bond was was your guy and he was a salesman. And uh, you know it's it's one of those things where yeah it, that can benefit. Sometimes when a weapon is highlighted it, it's a real benefit to sales because people see it they want it. The company that there's still a company out there that on a limited basis make the wildy which is a well basically a semi-automatic 44 magnum type of of uh gun and it was pretty big in the 80s and and you know it hangs around enough to uh, it's pop just popular enough so that they kind of keep it in limited production um i haven't checked on it in a couple of years so it could be it could be gone but Certainly while they were doing that, every time um, Death Wish 3 or Death Wish 4, whichever one, where Charles Bronson used the Wildy, every every time that would kind of go on one of the channels, you know, now it's streaming channels, but it used to be kind of the nostalgia channels, you know, kind of the me TV type stuff, uh, or TV land, or that those, those types of things. So whenever that movie would play they would see an uptick in orders you know they would see a spike in orders <laughs> so so people were watching the movie and saying man i'd like one of those they look it up on the internet and say man i can buy one of those for several thousand dollars i'm sure and and they'd order it so people do buy the guns they see in movies uh just just the way it is um so in in that in that sense uh, the movie images of firearms are very positive because they boost sales and and they make guns 
popular. Um, and, and there's more and more and more examples. We just can't go through them. But um, that where they heard bad is they they essentially show guns as being like death rays where they never miss and they never run out of ammo and you know they're just these frightening you know instruments of destruction which is not true um, one of the things that's always where you'll see that is is uh, in in war movies or gangster movies when someone's firing a Thompson it'll sound like they're firing an automatic cannon and that's done for dramatic effect a, a Thompson actually has a, a more of a popping sound when it fires as opposed to a you know thunderous thunderous roar so um, everybody is you know a little bit conditioned to what they see they also think you know silencers or more correctly called sound suppressors are um, absolutely silent and these super cool things that assassins use and all that actually none of that is true and frankly I think a lot of people who are who bought them are somewhat disappointed in their overall performance but be that as it may um, that's a, a kind of a bad thing it kind of gives it kind of gives firearms a bad thing plus you never see people using firearms in a in really what I would call a wholesome or healthy manner most of it is you know there's no hunting there's no competition I, and understand they're, they're making entertainment so they can't really cater to any of that but they don't really show anything like the the use of firearms that most people do they show it is you know a, a instrument employed against other people so in that case it's very negative so there's some positive as far as sales, but a lot of negativity as far as image goes. Uh, another obvious question. Why didn't black powder cartridge, cartridge guns last longer in the civilian marketplace and use? Um, so I think what that question really is, is why why did black powder cartridges, cartridges and cartridge guns um, essentially kind of disappear when the technology really wasn't that bad, it was fine. It was it was a big improvement over muzzle loading, and you know for most uses, civilian uses, black powder was fine. It it you know for hunting and things like that it was fine. Um, the the actual reason is because the the industry wasn't going to support both, and so black powder became a very very minor component. They didn't they didn't disappear completely uh, I imagine that they they got reasonable use and and you know guns like trapdoor Springfields had been sold uh, surplus but that's really not a great example either because a lot of the a lot of the, the cartridges you gotta remember black powder cartridges a lot of them survived in the smokeless um, so you know you can go down the list but anything designed before, say, 1900 was pretty much a black powder proposition. There, there are some exceptions, but or you could go 1895, you know, or, or whatever, um, you know. But things like 3840, 4440, 45 Colt, um, those were all black powder cartridges at one time. The transition to a 4570 was another. 
a black powder cartridge that transitioned to smokeless. So um, there were the trans. So what really happened is they didn't completely vanish. They just stopped using black powder and they transitioned uh, a lot of those cartridges to smokeless. So that all happened. The other and, and smokeless powder was safer to make. It was it was better in many ways for the new cartridges. It was really the only option. And also, you could make guns, rifles especially that were smaller, you know, lighter because they were taking smaller board cartridges. Um, because of the velocities that they could achieve, they could use shorter barrels. There's a whole bunch of reasons why smokeless powder, um, aside from the obvious that, hey, it's, it's smokeless and it's clean, and so you don't have to spend as much time cleaning your gun. It doesn't foul like black powder does. But there's a whole bunch of other reasons on top of that that, you know, you could just go through when you look at what are the advantages of smokeless powder and, and the cartridges that were then designed around it. So that's why they didn't last. But, you know, there are a surprising number of them still around. So, um, and there are a lot of guns that, uh, you know, I have a 3220 1873 Winchester that was made in 1889. So you don't really shoot smokeless in that. It's really a black powder is a much better fit. So that's what's going on there. What is the best distance to test a rifle's accuracy? Um, that's that's not a good question because we don't test a rifle's accuracy anymore. We've really gotten into the business of testing a rifle, its sighting system, which is usually optics, and the ammunition load as a package, and making sure that all three of those things are compatible, that the ammunition is consistent enough to deliver accuracy, the rifle is built in a manner that promotes accuracy, and that the optics are of high enough quality that they can be adjusted for different ranges and return to zero. So if I have, if I'm sighted in for 200 yards and I see a target at 400 yards, I can make that correction on my scope and fire and engage that target and my ammunition is accurate enough that it's going to um, deliver the kind of group I need or the, or the consistency I need to hit that target and the rifle is going to be constructed in such a manner you know the that it's maybe on a chassis barrel free floated uh, perhaps the action bedded or mated to the chassis made it to it bedded in a wooden type stock and, and uh, um, made it to the chassis so everything is going everything has to work together those three elements have to work together so we don't really test a rifle singly anymore we test the combination of those three things I have found that the best distance well, I won't say best distance I will say that a good distance is 400 yards because at ranges of 300 yards and less 
most rifles will shoot very well. I mean, I, I always get the kick, and I've, I've talked about this before, where guys say, I, my, I shoot, you know, three quarters of a minute of angle at 100 yards. Well, a lot of rifles will do that. A lot of rifles will shoot one inch or just over an inch or just under an inch at 100 yards. But as they heat up, the depending if... As they heat up, if they're built like traditional hunting rifles, uh, the groups will open up. If the if the ammunition is not optimized for accuracy, that can also cause the groups to open way up beyond 200 yards. And if the scope is not designed to to basically adjust from 200 to 400 and then back again, uh, you can have another another uh, issue. So 400 yards is really good because I also have found that wind can start to affect you beyond 300 yards. So 400 yards, you will get some effect of the wind. So you get some some practice or some some meat. You have to make meaningful wind adjustments past that, which is you know something that you'll want to do if you're going to shoot uh, you know a rifle at, at longer ranges. Um, yeah, so I found I found that 400 yards is pretty optimal, a really good practice distance for a lot of rifles. Some people go out farther. You know, they can they could certainly um, do it farther, but um, it's harder to find a range that's it's harder to it's hard to find a 400 yard range. You know, it's 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 amazing how how our taste has changed used to be 100 yards was considered good 300 yards was was great and a few ranges would go actually go out to a thousand yards and that was considered really match level you know it's like swimming in an olympic size swimming pool it is that's the big time there uh now we consider 300 yards to be rather paltry and there are people who routinely shoot well beyond a thousand yards so uh, we've we've kind of stretched it out as our technology in scopes, in rifles, and in ammunition has improved. Uh, we've stretched the ranges out, and and uh, you know, unfortunately, a lot of facilities have are struggling to keep up. Gun club I'm at is struggles to keep up. So um, it's it's amazing, but I think 400 yards is a really good distance. If you can shoot at 400 yards, you you've got a you've got a really a good way to test the three variables that we mentioned earlier. Okay. What rifle sport will be the next hotness? Well, if I knew that, I would be investing and would be a wealthy person. I really can't tell you. You know, it's it's amazing. I I don't know where it could really go. Uh you know, we had the we kind of had the AR boom where everybody was into their tactical ARs. That was kind of the war on terror, and that lasted a long time, and it's still around. These are these are still trends. These are still still things that people do. Uh, then we had the you know the sniping, the PRS thing. You know where everybody wanted to be, you know, kind of a high speed sniper. Then we had NRL 22, which was kind of the rimfire version of that. So I don't know where we go with rifles from here. Seems like we have pretty good smorgasbord. Um, kind of interesting. 
we'll see see what it is um, if I if they said you need to pick the next thing that's gonna do it I would say well and this is this would be really obtuse but um, maybe firing military rifles at longer range you know five six seven hundred yards sort of like they do with nine hole only um, you know perhaps using iron sights on larger targets just seeing how that all works that would be very interesting I don't think it would ever be a sport but it would certainly would be very interesting so that would be it and the a related question for that is the same thing except pistol and I think what you're gonna see with pistol is perhaps IPSC or is it ISPC I can't remember uh, that kind of competition the practical pistol shooting with rim fires and that will generate all kinds of new guns and gear and everything else and I think you'll see that as the same way NRL 22 kind of took over for PRS it'll start out initially as a lower cost alternative and then gradually turn into a gear race which costs as much as everything else so that's where I kind of see both of those going um, you know it's just hard to tell uh, I think cowboy action could have a resurgence um, seems like there's some interest in I, I've seen I've seen some of the you know websites and things and it looks like some younger people are kind of attracted to it whether it will you know kind of reach the zenith of its former glory I don't know uh, I also know that some are expanding it's funny that the wild bunch shooting is kind of expanding into that area that was the now defunct zoot shooting was in so they're they're actually going up into like military rifles up to 1945 you know manually operated of course uh, so there's a, there's there is this uh, push to kind of increase the the time of the wild bunch shooting to say 1945 um, which is a good thing a very good thing uh, there's you know cowboy action I don't know I just don't know you know that whole generation that grew up on westerns is largely retired from shooting and and gone for the ends also so it's gonna be very hard it's gonna be very very difficult so we'll see how it see how it goes but I wish it would stay around um, and kind of get a little less gamey you know and kind of be more just a little bit more authentic based and it'd probably be a lot more fun so that's that's where I see this kind of stuff going okay next question have you seen where the British Ministry of Defense is replacing the SA-80 rifle with new rifles that are basically AR pattern rifles from Knight's Armament uh, you know what I did see that article and it looks like they're buying like a hundred thousand of these things over a period of years uh, they're first going to the special operations regiments and uh, 
go in there. No one has ever been crazy about the SA-80 rifle. That's the weird little bullpup that they have. Uh, no one's ever liked it. The Army didn't like it. Special oper their special operations uh, would refuse to use it. Um, it. It is just not, you know, it's got a lot of, it's always had problems. Laos, as I remember uh, from handling one a long time ago, lousy trigger pull, um, weird ergonomics that are, you know, some of that is bullpup. Some of it is probably just the way it's designed. Um, they've had reliability problems. They've had to rework those weapons several times to get them so that they're reliable enough to use. So I would suspect that uh, uh, anyone who is using this piece of equipment would would be very disappointed in it. So the SA-80, they've, they've kept it long enough so that they don't have to admit failure and now they're moving on to something that is much more reliable, much better, and a just a superior uh, weapon. So I'm frankly not surprised. I'm not surprised at all. Um, you know, it's, you know, choosing a rifle is always a problem. And I, the reason they went to that bullpup, face it, a lot of it was that nostalgia in the early 50s. Remember, they had that 7mm bullpup. There's some forgotten weapons videos on those things. And uh, they were basically incentivized to get rid of it because they had to get a 7.62 NATO rifle. So they got the the FAL. The, the funny part is, you would read sometimes, where, well, they had to select the FAL over this far superior bullpup design. And then when you go to the American trials, the guys who try, try to critique that a few years later. Well, the far superior FAL was was edged out for political reasons by the M14. So, you know, it's, it's always the grass is always a little greener on the other side of the fence. So, yeah, you know, bullpups have lousy handling characteristics. No bullpup can get around that. I mean, none of them have ever been very successful i mean they're unique and they're a novelty but um as the sa-80 may be the most successful one although i think the famas was kind of a bullpup design so um the french famas rifle which they've now ditched i mean they kept these things for 30 30 some years and then they've ditched them you know it's it's just the way it is um they're, they're not a rifle that you would want to upgrade. It's not, it's handling characteristics are, are you know, very poor. And, and it's kind of based on that, we've talked about it before, that flawed reasoning that the shorter my weapon, the more high speed I am. And, uh, you know, I had a guy who was telling me, and I don't know if it's true or not, because he, he's not really a good weapons guy. So, I think he's kind of full of baloney. He was telling me he had a 10 and a half inch barrel uh, rifle in a rack, uh, M4. And he was talking about how high speed it was, how much better it was than a regular M4 and everything else. And I, I think he's full of shit. I don't think he understood what the rest of us had. Because I, I will tell you this, I would never take a 10 inch barrel M4. I wouldn't take it across the street. 14.5 is a good 
good rifle, it's a good length, it's handy, it's compact and everything else, 10.5 inch, then you start getting into, is the gas port big enough? Is, is it reliable enough? And uh, I don't think, I don't think that that, you know, is worth the risk to get a shorter weapon with a shorter, you know, one would notionally expect it would have a shorter sight radius, or if they kept the carbine length thing, you wouldn't have any barrel protruding beyond the uh, the deal. I, and the muzzle blast is greater. The recoil is going to be greater. Who wants it? Nobody freaking wants it. Um, so I, and again, this guy was such a a guy who didn't know anything. I'm not going to say ignorant. He's not an ignorant man, but he doesn't know as much about weapons as he thinks he does. Um, I think he probably had a regular M4 and just didn't recognize that that's what other people had also. So uh, short barrels are, are not that great a deal. And, and even if it's a short barrel, a standard length barrel that is made to appear shorter because it's in a bullpup design, so it's it's a more compact design you're still going to get that muzzle flash and blast closer to your face which you know just isn't very pleasant so uh, for those reasons bullpups are people try to think they look cool people th with them think they are cool um try to clear a jam um i you know that whole thing it, it's one of those things where the idea is is a lot better than the execution. So I don't think anybody really gets very far with a bullplup. I think the Israelis have given up on the Tevor. You know, the Tevor was there, was the bullpup and, and all the rest of it. And I think they ran into the regular bullpup problems of the basic handling, which cannot be changed because it's endemic to a bullpup design. It's just the, the handling is, is very awkward, very clumsy. And what you save in compactness is offset by those other things. Pardon me, those other things. So I would, um, I'd say no thanks. Um, the SA-80 needs to be in the museum. You know, it's just, it's just the way it is. Um, and it, it will go down as kind of an ignominious uh, part of their small arms history. And, you know, it's, it's by doing this, Great Britain has now, or the UK, however you want to put it, um, has given up on domestic rifle production design. They're now going to be buying off the shelf, like a lot of people are now, like a lot of militaries are now. There's very few outside of, I think, probably Russia and a few others. There's very few... Um, state-run armories anymore i mean i just they're just too expensive it's just easier to privatize and buy it from a company and then you know when you need something else you buy something else well that's it for this edition of old school guns the podcast that tells you like it is if you want to send anything to me kbmakel at aol.com kbmakel at aol.com send me your questions always like to hear them and, and read them and uh, get back to you on them. But until next time, this is Old School Guns, out. <laughs>